Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Hi there everybody and Merry Almost Christmas. Today is Christmas Eve, the day before the day that is probably the most anticipated day on our annual calendars. We spend months thinking about it, weeks or longer, preparing for it, and then it's over in one often busy day. The season of Advent is one that means preparation, but primarily that actually word means a spiritual preparation, not the myriad of other things we seem to spend most of our time preparing for. Spiritually, we are encouraged to open our hearts, to prepare ourselves, to welcome Jesus. And for some of us, that means welcoming Jesus again into our lives. For some of us, we've been doing this welcoming rhythm for decades. The question to ask ourselves 24 hours out from the day that we celebrate this welcoming is, how will we receive Jesus again? What are our expectations of Jesus? This is a question that people have been asking for generations. And I want to suggest four ways that people have been receiving Jesus for a very long time and encourage us to think about which welcome we want to embrace this year. We have the choice. In the Old Testament, we see story after story that was intended to prepare the nation of Israel to expect the coming of a king who would reign forever. In 2 Samuel 7.16, Nathan prophesied that from David's lineage, a throne shall be established forever. Over and over again, scripture foretold of a future ruler who would set all things right. The story of Jesus saturates the the big story of the Bible and prophecies of his first advent are found throughout the Old Testament. Allusions to him also come up in, in little ways as many people and events hinted the work he would accomplish. One scholar, J. Barton Payne, has found as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to or describe or reference the coming Messiah. Alfred Eidersham found 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah or his times. Conservatively, Jesus fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. Whatever the maths we might use, the arrival of a Messiah should have come as no surprise to anyone. We might wonder then what the angels made of earth's reception of her long-awaited king when Jesus was born. As they peered over the edge of heaven, what might they have thought of the spectacle of the Son of God becoming flesh and dwelling among people? As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.12, even angels long to look into these things. The holy, holy, holy they, they lived to adore was heading to earth. They had already heard Gabriel announce to Mary in Luke 1, 32 and 33 that he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke 2, 10 
says that the arrival of a savior will be good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The armies of heaven fixed their gaze intently on the dark world below, anticipating nothing less than the monumental merriment of his arrival. Joy to the world! The Lord has come! But what did the angel see in the early chapters of their Saviour's earthly advent? Well, this is what we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that this, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. How stunning. In Matthew chapter 1, after 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 more from David to the Babylonian exile and still 14 more from the exile to the Messiah's birth, Jesus Christ, the son of David, arrived to this. The world sat in sin and error, yes, but not so much pining. Well, we can see four different reactions are recorded to the arrival of the Messiah as recorded in these early chapters of Matthew's Gospel. Reactions that can still be seen today as we await his second arrival. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, we see our first response. That of a threatened king. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Was Herod not the king of the Jews, appointed so by Rome? His first reaction to hearing of the birth of the, the king of the Jews is one of threatened defensiveness. His throne and his scepter stood in jeopardy. This baby in a manger was identified very quickly as a threat to his power and his wealth. Jesus was a threat to the very identity that Herod had come accustomed to enjoying. The, the trappings of wealth were under threat. Herod's first reaction, maybe the most common reaction for the times and perhaps still the most common reaction today when power and wealth is threatened, was to eliminate the threat. Matthew 2.13 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. More tragically, Herod's insecurity was so vast that he made an even wider order in Matthew 2.16. To kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in Bethlehem. And Herod, we see a power-hungry man who will not relinquish power willingly to Christ. In that picture, we may even see ourselves Stubbornly trying to hold on to the control of our lives that we're so accustomed to maintaining. Struggling to relinquish all that we think is important and that belongs to us. Not prepared to risk being dethroned from being the masters of our own destinies. To let go of control is seen as a threat to our identity that the world says is ours to build. Maybe some of us aren't as different from Herod as we might like to think that we are. Not only was Herod disturbed at the threat to his power, but at the end of Matthew 2, we see a second response, that of the troubled masses and all Jerusalem with him. 
the very people for whom Christ came to bring eternal peace and hope to were disturbed by his arrival. As John writes in chapter 1 verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Why was Israel so disturbed? It doesn't feel too long ago that they were singing great psalms of David foretelling the Messiah's reign to come. I mean, check out Psalms chapter 2 or chapter 110 for beautiful examples of this. Why did they now regale at his advent? Perhaps the reason for their lack of embrace is because of something that we can probably identify being present in our own lives. Ultimately, receiving Christ is problematic when, to a bigger degree than we might care to admit, Israel was, as we are, in love with the world. They were as comfortable with the way of life as we often are as well. So why shake things up? The people of Israel were perhaps cozy in a fallen world. They, they wanted to live their lives, be good people, and show up to the synagogue on holidays. And they didn't need a new king to come and disturb that. It's challenging, right? To follow Jesus is not a comfortable option. We, we have to wrestle with everything that Jesus said, which leads us to live quite differently from the patterns of this world. It means being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's, it's quite disturbing. And it's no wonder that the people were disturbed by the very thought of this. The theory of a Messiah is great. The expectation is exciting. But changing our perspectives and living in the ways of God is... A challenge when we live in the present. We don't always have a bigger vision for the, for the eternal. It is disturbing to know that the Spirit of God wants to refine us, to change us, to, to use us for the kingdom of God. It's, it's outside of our comfort zones. But the scriptures say that really that is the way to find the kind of life that, that God created us for. That kind of life will help us through the challenges that come our way. The people of Israel were disturbed. How would we welcome Jesus if he showed up on Christmas Day? Well, there's an interesting group of people who get largely overlooked in this wider story, but the way they acted when they were aware of the Messiah being born stands out as being another way that Jesus was welcomed. It's, it's an example of apathy, an apathy that often exists within us. Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 to 8 when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod, asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. All the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. After quoting from Micah chapter 5 verse 2, which shows they were in touch with the scriptures, they just went back to whatever they were doing before they were aware that the Savior had been born. And in their place, Herod asks the Magi, the wise men, to go and get on their bikes and head off to Bethlehem. It's a perplexing response. The Magi went to the spiritual leaders of Israel for the location of the child. They handled the response well, and then they went on with their day. They carried on with business as usual. 
They did not leave with the Magi to worship Jesus. They told the pagan priests where to find their Messiah, their Christ, their King, and then they went back to their study of the very scriptures that promised in Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then they went back. Sometimes we can get so entrenched in being religious and going through the motions that we can be like these religious leaders or we can miss the opportunity to see God at work in our world. We can get so tied into rules and regulation, who's in and who's out, what songs we should sing and what rituals we should maintain, that we can fail to recognize the significance of the transformation that Jesus brings to our lives. And we go back to being stuck in things that ultimately don't have the importance we attribute them to. All the people's chief priests and teachers of the law missed the opportunity to welcome the arrival of the fulfillment of the very prophecies they had studied all their lives. (laughs) We read of the fourth response to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. After they had heard the king, they, the Magi, went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In these verses, we see a group of men Magi, wise men, most likely just some some wealthy kings from the east being awakened by gods, by what they saw as they studied the stars. From all they had heard over hundreds of years, they rejoiced exceedingly that they went to the Christ, they fell down and they worshipped. He was a king to be worshipped, a king worthy of their treasures, for he was their treasure. This group saw what others could not see. A king born without a crown, a throne standing as tall as a manger, a kingdom with farm animals standing guard. They saw who would come, the king of kings. These joined the glorious and unlikely ranks of believers in the New Testament who would come to worship him. In many ways, this group was the most unlikely of anyone to give Jesus such a warm welcome. They were astronomers, not in the inner circle. They saw things from a distance. But they were open to receive what God was revealing to them. Faith like a child, perhaps, inquisitive, prepared to be transformed and aware that something special was going on. Towards the end of every gospel, Jesus is asked, Are you the king of the Jews? In every case, he replies, You have said so. Leading up to this, we see all kinds of people bowing to Jesus and entering his kingdom. Blind men, hopeless criminals, no-name fishermen, the sinful, the shamed, the paralyzed, the social lepers, the women of ill repute, the demon-oppressed, the misfits, the out-of-place, the unlikely. All of these people routinely came to worship him. While the comfortable, the at-home, the well-to-do, and the religious but apathetic stayed away. The sick and sinners who went to him knew they must go. To whom else would they go? 
all of history, all of scripture, all truth and beauty and goodness, everything led to him. He was and is the joy of all those who are weary of their sin, weary of this fallen world, weary of being apart from him. Jesus, the king we could never imagine, Jesus, the king worthy of all our worship, came to our world, anointed by God, needed by humanity. His reign is still life and peace for all who trust in him and who wait for his return. Oh, oh, come, let us adore him. The question this Christmas is how will you welcome him? Who do you identify with in these four different responses? I hope, my prayer is that we might identify with the Magi, the the wise men, the kings from the East, whoever they were, they've had different interpretations. But people who from a distance recognized that the Messiah, the savior of the world, had come into our world and joyfully responded, went out of their way, traveled, journey, and worshiped at his feet. Might that be our response this Christmas? Again, might we be alive and open to the joy that that brings to our life? Not apathetic, not disturbed. Might we be willing to experience freshness in our journey? To him be all glory and praise this Christmas. The the reason for the season. Let's have open hearts as we welcome him. Let's pray. Father, when we look at these four different responses that we see in these opening chapters of Matthew's gospel, we can often see ourselves in some of them. We can be a little bit disturbed at the thought of being uncomfortable. We can be a little bit disturbed because we feel threatened by having to open up our lives and hand over all of what we have to you. We can feel a little bit apathetic. Sometimes the longer we go in our Christian journey, the more apathetic we can get. Forgive us of that today, I pray. Might we adopt a posture that we see with these men who came from the east, who studied the stars, who looked for signs, who were prepared to travel and go out of their way, who were willing to lay down the things most precious to them at the feet of their Savior. Might we just be real today, Father, with the emotions and the feelings that we have. And help us by your Spirit with us today, you with us, Emmanuel God with us, to be willing to open up again to the freshness of a transformative story. So tomorrow on Christmas Day, as we eat and gather and celebrate and share presents, help us in some way to have eyes and ears open to the miracle of the Savior of the world, born for us and his life and what it meant and what it means today. Help us to have open and joyful hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.